When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Do we live in an era of fake news and conspiracy theories? Is the world progressing or regressing? Are human beings rational? And do attempts to regulate rationality and truth pose a dangerous threat to freedom of speech? To answer all of these questions and more, I am joined by the internationally best-selling author and psychologist Steven Pinker, whose recent book on rationality is already making shockwaves in the academic world. I started our discussion by asking what rationality is and whether it's currently in fashion. I define it as the use of knowledge to attain a goal. And so the particular variety of rationality that you might talk about depends on the goal. If it's to deduce true propositions from other true propositions, we call it logic. If it's to assess the propensity of an event to take place, we call it probability. There are other Goals such as uh, calibrating degree of belief in a hypothesis according to evidence, that would be Bayesian reasoning. So there are a number of tools of rationality, but each of which is designed to attain a particular kind of goal. It has a bit of a reputation problem. I'm often asked if you extol rationality, does that mean that uh, I can't appreciate beauty, I can't fall in love, I can't dance, I can't have fun? And so there is an idea, probably going back to the Romantic movement, that being committed to rationality involves some kind of dour, joyless kind of uh, existence, which is uh, which does not follow. Rationality is a way of attaining a goal, and there's nothing to say that that goal can't be taking advantage of all the pleasures that are available to a human being. So you're trying to make rationality sexy again? I, I don't know if I'm the person to do that, but it would be good if someone did. <laughs> <laughs> are human beings rational? We must have a capacity for rationality, otherwise we couldn't establish the benchmarks against which we can compare humans and even ask the question, are humans rational? Are humans what? Well, it's we humans who can stipulate or at least try to characterize what's what's rational. In our day-to-day lives, in all cultures, people deploy rationality. That's what makes humans human. I start off the book with some vignettes about the San people of the Kalahari Desert, one of the world's oldest cultures. They're hunter-gatherers, and they depend on a lot of rationality to make it through the day and and to stay alive. They uh, engage in persistence hunting, which involves tracking an animal from the bits of evidence that it leaves behind. And they give all evidence of many kinds of rationality. They uh, have a sense of probability. They engage in critical thinking, so they learn to distrust their first impressions. They don't accept arguments from authority. If a tribal elder 
has a hypothesis about what animal left behind a track and a young upstart wants to challenge him, that, that's okay, they'll give him, give him a floor. So in, in, in many ways, rationality is our birthright, and I emphasize that to, so that we don't have the excuse of forgiving our own outbursts of irrationality by saying, oh, well, what can you expect? We descended from hunter-gatherers who had to always be on the lookout for a lion hiding in the grass in the savannah. We do have the capacity for uh, reason. We don't always deploy it in pursuit of the goal of objective truth or best policies. You follow on from rationality progress. Is that accurate? Uh, well, certainly the other way around is accurate, namely observing the facts of progress, as I have tried to do in previous books, Enlightenment Now and the Better Angels of Our Nature, and raises the question, where did that progress come from? How, how did we manage to reduce famine and uh, infant mortality and extreme poverty? They didn't decline by themselves. It was only the application of rationality with the goal of bettering humanity in one way or another reducing disease, reducing war, reducing hunger, that we were able to push back against forces of nature that have no particular benevolent regard for our well-being. Is rationality subjective to each individual? And, you know, if something that's rational to me might seem completely irrational to you, and you've got to make a decision as to whether that is correct or not. And for example, you know, uh, some people, many people believed in America that Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin were working together to somehow corrupt the 2016 campaign. That turned out to be a conspiracy theory, not right. It was proven that, that there was no collusion, as it were. Uh, those people were being irrational in retrospect, but they thought they were being rational at the time, and they believed in this conspiracy theory that was pumped out in the media in a, in a huge way. So do you accept that rationality is subjective to each individual's purposes? No, claims of rationality are subjective, but rationality virtually by definition is not subjective. So the fact that someone claims to be rational doesn't mean that they were. They, they could be mistaken in that claim. And in fact, most people who claim, who, who claim to be rational are mistaken because none of us can really aspire to perfect rationality. And even the mistaken belief that there was collusion between Trump and Putin, I don't think the word rationality appeared in all of those, uh, those op-eds. We all have an implicit commitment to, to rationality when we, whenever we argue for anything being true. It wasn't as if the people who had that mistaken beliefs actually said we're being rational, at least not that I remember. The reason I bring it up is because I think it's one of those many conspiracy theories that have sprouted in recent years and perhaps been driven by the rise of social media. And you touch on this in your recent book. Has social media made people more rational or less rational? Well, it's, um, there's a lot of, let's say, diversity in, in, in rationality that social media have uh, contributed to. Uh, some people use it as a source of information and access to articles they might not otherwise come across. I mean, that's the way I try to use it. On the other hand, if it isn't used just as a link to properly vetted and high-quality sources, if it's used as a repository of information in itself, then because it is not fact-checked, it's not vetted, it's not sat on while its sources are double-checked, then it can proliferate an awful lot of nonsense very quickly. And linking in with that, the rise of the internet as a concept, not just social media, that's more of a recent thing, but the internet itself, it's enabled access to almost unlimited information to almost all human beings on the earth. If you've got access to a phone, then you've got access to the internet and you've got access to an immense amount of information that wasn't available 20, 30 years ago. Are you surprised that that hasn't led to human beings becoming more rational and becoming almost perfectly rational when they've got access to all this information? 
Yeah, I, I, I am surprised. I had thought that just as the dissemination of affordable books and, and pamphlets had a role in the Enlightenment, that the easy access to information would lead to uh, a new Enlightenment. Uh, I think what I'd underestimated was the uh, necessity of gatekeepers, of quality control, of fact-checking, <clears throat> the fact that our, our accomplishments of rationality really depend on this infrastructure of norms and institutions that make us collectively rational in a way that no individual is likely to be. That when it comes to individuals, we're quite often quite happy with comforting stories, with emboldening myths, <clears throat> with um, rumors that uh, underscore how perfidious our enemies are and how glorious and noble and wise our own coalition is. And social media make that all too easy, that there's truth and, or at least our, our best claims to truth are uh, kind of a rare and precious accomplishment that can only come about through communities that adhere to criteria that allow us to winnow out all of the many, many false ideas that occur to us and zero in on the true ones. Social media itself may simply be a reflection of human nature in that sense. Uh, and the internet, when people have access to unlimited information almost, uh, they choose the information that suits their own biases and their own beliefs already. And I know that you talk about rational decision making. It's more like kind of confirming your own views. And rather than looking at the evidence objectively, you want to find the evidence that supports your own analysis. Exactly. And in fact, that, that, that's exactly the way I would put it. And it's not an observation that you see in a lot of the condemnations of social media, where it's blamed on the nefarious chase after profits by you know, Mark Zuckerberg and, and um, all the rest. What I think isn't appreciated is that this is, we kind of got what we wanted, what we asked for, and we were reminded of some of the darker sides of human nature, especially when it comes to kind of, uh, epistemic uh, beliefs, and, and that, uh, or beliefs, I should just say, uh, namely that the commitment to factual veracity uh, is pretty compartmentalized. When it comes to whether, whether there's enough gas in the car to get us to the city we want, you know, pe people are pretty rational. They're pretty, they, they don't engage in wishful thinking or propaganda or fake news. They, they really got to know. But when it comes to the public sphere, where an individual person's opinion in most cases is, uh, has a trifling impact, I mean, who cares what I think about, about climate change? Uh, it's not going to change the climate. And so my belief is kind of a, I have the luxury of endorsing beliefs that will increase my status within my, my clique, my, my coalition, my tribe, that will help demonize those and the others. And if I'm, in fact, a steadfast warrior for the cause, I could rise in status regardless of the veracity of the belief. And when it comes to beliefs that were untestable for most of human history, why do bad things happen to good people? What's the origin of misfortune like plagues and, and earthquakes and famines? What was the origin of the universe? These cosmic questions, I don't think we naturally think of as matters that can be true or false because our mind evolved in a world where you, where you couldn't test them. And so all we had were, were good stories. They were People believed them because they were entertaining, because they expressed their who they wanted to be because they uh, allowed the, the tribe to coalesce around some found, founding myths. Since the Enlightenment, we have the, uh, at least historically, rather eccentric notion that all our beliefs should be grounded in reality. 
Uh, Bertrand Russell uh, said it is undesirable to believe a proposition when there are no grounds whatsoever for believing it to be true. And that might strike us as banal or trite or obvious, but in fact it's a revolutionary manifesto and most people have not signed on to it. So if you believe that Hillary Clinton ran a pedophilia ring out of the basement of a pizzeria, whether she really did or not <clears throat> is not the reason you hold the belief. You hold the belief as a way of saying, boo, Hillary, <clears throat> or saying that's the kind of thing that she would be capable of whether or not she did it. That's, she, she is so decadent and, and corrupt and perfidious that I wouldn't put a pastor to do that. So I'm going to say that she did it. And now, those of us who say, well, well, no, you really, that shouldn't really be the basis of belief. You should only believe things that are true, not things that <clears throat> ratify some conviction in your, your, your coalition. Well, there's a sense in which we're the weird ones. Uh, in the context of human history. Now, I think we're right. I think it really, I think Bertrand Russell was right. It is undesirable to believe a proposition when there are no grounds for supposing that it's true. Uh, but that is a lesson that has to be pushed and, and, and reinforced and inculcated. Do you think there really is an epidemic of fake news and conspiracy theories? You've mentioned one there. Or is social media simply uh, sort of exaggerating it because we can see it in front of our eyes? Whereas perhaps these ideas and these this human nature towards confirmation bias and towards believing things that logically aren't true, but we want to believe them because they confirm our own opinions. That's been around for the entirety of human existence. So this idea that there's a pandemic of fake news or conspiracy theories perhaps is simply exaggerated by a tiny minority of very loud people on Twitter and Facebook and everything else. Uh, indeed. Now, it's not a tiny minority uh, that uh, probably nine out of 10 Americans believe in some conspiracy theory. Not necessarily QAnon, popular in the right, but there are left-wing conspiracy theories. Uh, people who believe that HIV was a um, engineered virus dispersed by the CIA to control the black population. You, you call white supremacy something of a conspiracy theory that all racial disparities are the result of people who want there to be racial disparities. And throughout history, there have been conspiracy theories, some of them quite destructive, like the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, uh, like the Illuminati. Many uh, pogroms and ethnic riots were triggered by some viral rumor uh, about uh, that, that members of that group killing uh, uh, an innocent of the, the majority group. Likewise, fake news is probably the, again, when it comes, not when it comes to people's everyday lives where we, we have to know what's, what's true or what's false because reality is, as uh, Philip K. Dick said, what doesn't go away when you stop believing in it. But when it comes to things that are outside your realm of concrete physical experience, fake news might be closer to the, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the rule rather than the exception. It, it took journalism a lot of self-scrutiny, a lot of reform, a lot of adoption of codes of ethics and journalism schools and best practices for journalism not to be a, a conduit of fake news. And 19th century papers were full of nonsense, of sightings of, of sea monsters and civilizations on Mars. And, uh, so it's... Uh, and, and measures, people who have tried to use, apply a constant yardstick to conspiracy theorizing through the ages have not found a, a recent uptick. I think there's a danger that there is a moral panic here. And I think that um, there could be serious con consequences to that. For example, I'll give you two consequences. The first, censorship, that's the obvious one. Social media companies, big tech companies, during the last presidential election censored a story, for example, about Hunter Biden's laptop. Now, we don't know whether the laptop 
was 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 verifiable or whatever the story was out there you can make your you can make your own mind up about that it was on the new york post one of the oldest i think the oldest newspaper in america this was a mainstream organization publishing this and twitter completely removed it from the internet facebook likewise did the same thing for a, a temporarily and then put it back up so that's one consequence of what i think is, is a moral panic the second consequence is viewing your political opponents as stupid and idiots. And in the United Kingdom, after the Brexit referendum, you saw people on the other side of that referendum saying, well, Brexiteers, they didn't know what they were voting for. They were told lies by politicians. These people were stupid, thick Northerners, voters, who, who voted for this, and therefore we should reverse the result or have another referendum, which you know, lots of people were saying this is completely anti-democratic, and, and how could you possibly say that, and how can you be so patronising? So by spreading this idea that we live in an age of fake news or we live in an age of conspiracy theories, you may be furthering censorship, and I think you are demeaning, or you, there is a possibility that you start demeaning your political opponents as thick and stupid when they're not necessarily. I, mean, that, I, I agree that that's a danger and that there is something of a moral panic. Fake news in particular uh, probably had a tr uh, trivial role in the 2016 election. It mainly went to partisans and it may, mainly titillated them with claims of, that kind of reinforced their conception of the, the worst of their opponents. It probably changed very few minds and it was a tiny fraction of, of, of internet uh, traffic. Uh, there is a danger that these social media companies will do the expedient thing and just shut down various kinds of controversial positions uh, under pressure from, from both sides because, of course, uh, with the removal of Trump from, from uh, Twitter, uh, the social media became a bete noire of the American right and tried to regulate it. In the case of, of Trump on Twitter, uh, there is, it is slightly different in that uh, just as in traditional free speech jurisprudence, there often is an exception carved out for um, uh, <clears throat> incitement to imminent lawless activity or exhortation of uh, violence, particularly violence against the democratic process. And so I think there, Twitter could have had a, um, a, a line that they could have, I think, justifiably said that, that, uh, that Trump crossed, that they, you may not use our platform to tell people to be violent, in particular to, be, to violently disrupt the democratic process. Um, but, it, but it is also true that some of the other kinds of suppression uh, may be a response to a moral panic. Twitter is, of course, a private company, but it has immense power in the public debate and public discourse. Likewise, Facebook. Some people would argue these are oligopolies. There are, it's very difficult to start competition to these companies. They did actually try that on the right with the. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A company called Parler. It was pulled completely from the App Store, the uh, Apple App Store, Google, um, because of these same same accusations that um, there were people there spreading fake news and disinformation. Well, of course, on Facebook, there are people spreading fake news and disinformation all the time, but that company is allowed to stay up on the App Store and everything else. So the idea that this is is simply just a private company may be limited in the fact that it it may be a, a, a monopoly or an oligopoly. Uh, I also want to talk about this, and you can co- comment on that, but just also um, uh, on conspiracy theories themselves, why they spread, and the history of conspiracy theories. There are some conspiracy theories that turn out to be completely true. You know, you can th- think of MK Ultra or Operation Paperclip or all these other things, um, and you can say actually, there w- a they might be true, and b there might be a grain of truth within them. So this causes other problems, doesn't it? Because the truth isn't an obvious. Thing. There is not, you know, there isn't just a simple line, this is true and this is not true. Sometimes it's more murky than that and information isn't clear and sometimes there are vested interests who are hiding some information. The government may not be completely honest. Obviously the government isn't completely honest about everything. Yeah. So this creates huge problems, doesn't it, when you're trying to arbitrate social media platforms and, and other areas of public discourse, including going to universities and speaking and things like that, where there's no clear line here and there are subjective analysis of what, for example, what Donald Trump said. Well, there are a number of issues. So we being mortal humans, we will always, in fact, be uncertain about the objective truth. It still doesn't absolve us of having to come down and make decisions in particular cases, you know, as the Telegraph does in deciding what news items uh, to publish or not. Now, social media platforms notoriously are different from journalistic outlets in that they have operated closer to the, the telephone company or the post office than to a journalistic outlet and have been in U.S. law held not liable for user-posted content, controversially. Uh, so uh, we haven't yet, I think, settled on a uh, what is a defensible policy for social media. Are they, and, and as you know, there are debates on all of the issues that you brought up, like are they really a, an unassailable monopoly that has has taken such advantage of network effects that they're in effect dislodgeable? Or is Facebook now as perhaps vulnerable as MySpace was 15 years ago? In fact, the popularity of Facebook is declining. Could the market, uh, including the marketplace of ideas, punish companies that are too restrictive? And could upstarts uh, make inroads as they have in the past and with other with other so-called monopolies? Anyway, that's a whole, the whole discussion, a whole set of issues on what really is a monopoly and how unassailable a monopoly is, particularly in this zone. If there are any carve-outs to speech at all, 
where exactly the boundary is, whether a particular instance will fall on one side or another, is inevitably will involve some decision-making under uncertainty. That is, you can't be certain. Nonetheless, you do have to make a, de make a decision. I do have a chapter in the book on statistical decision theory, namely, given that we have uh, uncertainty, which we always have because we are mortals, given that there are consequences to errors in both directions, to uh, false positives and false negatives, where should a cutoff be placed to give us the best uh, outcome given the costs of errors in both directions? Now, of course, ideally, we should minimize both kinds of error by making our signal of reality as noise-free as possible. That is, in the case of the courtroom, better forensics. In the case of journalism, digging deeper, verifying sources. In the case of science, more accurate uh, instruments, and better scrutiny against possible sources of error. That reduces all uh, errors. But inevitably, there'll, be, there'll have to be judgment calls. It's not exactly or not necessarily subjective in the sense it's just a matter of taste, although it may be uncertain in that there, we don't know what the uh, it may be a matter answers. of interpretation. It may, it may be a ma matter of interpretation. But I think it could be viable that as I don't, that the, the policy that social media companies are obligated to allow anything to be disseminated, or else they become clumsy censors of anything that might be a bit contentious and they become so litigation shy that if it's controversial, they err on the side of shutting it down. There, you know, I, I think there, there could be a, a middle ground, uh, kind of maybe taking a leaf out of uh, free speech jurisprudence where there can be some legitimate kinds of speech that may be policed. Obviously there must be or there could not be a crime of bribery or extortion or blackmail because those by their very definition involve speech. So if, we, if blackmail is a crime, we've got to have be able to punish speech. And so carve-outs for particular categories such as inciting a, uh, an ethnic riot or a, uh, a pogrom or a genocide, you know, I, I can see that Facebook might say, well, we allow a lot of stuff on our platform, but, but not that. And then there, as always, there will have to be judgment calls because uh, there, there could be gray areas, but that doesn't absolve them of the uh, requirement of making those judgment calls and perhaps sometimes controversially. Let's talk about one of those grey areas, and you talk about anti-vaxxers. Now, that isn't in itself a grey area, in my opinion, but I think that science itself, uh, as people have come to describe it, isn't necessarily as clear-cut as I think that politicians and, and media commentators are making it out to be. So, I'll give you an example. In the UK, Matt Hancock, our old uh, health secretary, he would talk about it's, it's right that we follow the science. He says that uh, we need science on our side uh, when tackling the coronavirus pandemic. Now, scientists massively disagree in some areas of the coronavirus pandemic. So some say well, lockdowns don't work, some say they do. There's a huge debate here. And there isn't, you know, saying the science is far too direct and allows for no nuance. There is an issue here, isn't there, that people are using this term, the science, and using science in a way that is not accurate. Science is more, isn't as uh, clear cut as people are trying to make it out to be. What do you make of the idea that science is being used to censor people? I don't know if science is being used to censor people, but science is being, uh, I guess, invoked to, as a justification for censoring people. So I think there is that danger, absolutely, because to portray scientists as uh, priests or oracles uh, who ought to be trusted because they have a, a, a direct access to the truth 
uh, is a mischaracterization of what science is, and it ultimately does science harm because it's just built into the process of science that there will be mistakes. Uh, one scientist said the whole point of science is to make mistakes as rapidly as possible so we could see what the mistakes are. Karl Popper, to bring him up again, characterized science as a process of conjecture and refutation. Namely, you want to broach hypotheses that could be falsified, and then some of them will be, and that, that's the way we, we approach the truth. Uh, and the fact that scientists change their mind indeed should not be taken as an indictment of science, which it is if you portray science as just another source of authority, as a, as a kind of secular priesthood, then when they're wrong, it's like, well, let, let's find yet another set of priests. The point of science is to allow necessarily fallible humans to grope their way toward truth. Uh, and I do think that both scientists and the public health officials who allude to the science should both be more open in the reasoning that led, lead to their recommendations and more open, perhaps open isn't the right word because perhaps it hasn't occurred to them in the first place that all decisions involve trade-offs of costs and benefits and to justify it in terms of cost-benefit analysis given the uncertainty. This goes back to the, to the chapter on statistical decision theory in rationality that given the, say in the early stage of the pandemic that no one knew whether lockdowns would work or not and, and I agree it's essential to concede that we did not know. It would, be, would have been legitimate to say, we don't yet know whether they work or not. If we impose them and were wrong that they were unnecessary, we would have had some economic costs, but perhaps saved lives. If we were wrong that, that, that uh, not having lockdowns would lead to, the, to an explosion of the pandemic, that would be a much worse cost. So we are going to recommend the policy of being overcautious because the cost of being wrong is uh, worse in the other direction. They were not honest in that way, perhaps because they themselves did not think in those terms and they rather had the bureaucrat's mindset of when in doubt, ban it, uh, cover your anatomy, better that uh, it not be blamed on you. I think I have another explanation to that that links back to your book. I think that public officials and uh, government officials believe that human beings are irrational and that to tell them a white lie that lockdowns are fantastic and definitely work and we must do it and that this is the science and we must follow it was a simple way of, of saying to people you need to comply and if we were honest with them and said we don't know yeah they probably suspected that people wouldn't make a rational decision to comply with the lockdown and to understand uh, that there is actually a debate around these things i think i think you're right i mean i think there is a uh, an underestimation of people's capacity for rationality and hence a kind of paternalistic condescension. We're going to pretend that we are infallible priests because if we admitted our own fallibility, then, uh, then, then people wouldn't trust us at all. Whereas that may be the exact opposite of, 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 uh, of the reality uh, and that the greater transparency would have been more effective in the long run. I suspect you're right. When it comes to these murky, uh, these kind of murky areas of truth, for example, lockdowns or the other uh, subjects that we've touched upon where social media has been regulating and censoring people, where it's not so clear cut. I mean, you talk about terrorism and people inciting terrorism or, or violence. I think that's pretty obvious for Facebook to ban. But when it comes to the more subjective areas, isn't a better solution rather than censorship to have more transparency, to have more debate? And when you get, for example, an anti-vaxxer, 
you sh shouldn't they be able to air their views and say, well, this is what I believe, and the truth will eventually uh, win. And if you put light on uh, a debate, if you put light onto the truth, then people will make a rational decision and decide that's the sunlight, right thing. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. Exactly. That's the quote from, I think it was Lewis Brandeis. Um, yeah, I, I mean, in, in general, I, I agree with that, that the solution to speech is more speech. Even a, you know, in America, we call it a First Amendment advocate, but more generally free speech advocate. You know, I think that we can have discussions of whether there are special, limited, unusual carve-outs, temporary. Just as I'm, uh, you know, against laws that criminalize Holocaust denial, uh, even though I think that is it's an e evil thing to promulgate, but I don't think the government in general should be in the business of policing it. But one could even imagine, say, in the aftermath of World War II in Germany, uh, a a, you know, a temporary restriction that had a defined instrumental purpose, but that was not allowed to, to remain in place as an abridgment of, of speech. One can imagine emergency measures where even agreeing that in the fullness of time we'll get to the bottom of it, but there is imminent danger now of spreading what we're almost certain is uh, falsehoods, and that could lead to identifiable harm now, not serving as a precedent for suppressing speech indefinitely. I could imagine that in a private context of a social media company as being a defensible policy. That is, there is some degree of responsibility. We're, we're, we're private companies, we can, do, we can do what we want, and we don't want to be complicit in that right now. Again, defensibly, if it was limited, circumscribed to a particular purpose. Let's very briefly, because we haven't got much time left, talk about universities. And I know you mentioned in your book that there are problems within universities of intellectual debate being shut down, of the overwhelming majority of faculty being on the left, basically, and this can create groupthink and irrational outcomes. How significant is this problem in America and in the UK United Kingdom? I think it is significant for two reasons. One of them is that by having a intellectual monoculture, could cut ourselves up, uh, uh, cut ourselves off from the universe of ideas. There may, may be many true ideas that are never entertained because there's no one there to entertain them. There's the danger that if true ideas, potentially true ideas, are broached, they'll never get to be considered because those making them are uh, punished. There's a danger that a whole uh, class of people, possibly representing either a significant minority or the majority, are uh, cut out of this, this, which ought to be an incubator of ideas and education, and the, the very real possibility that the credibility of the university and of science will be sapped by people correctly sensing that heterodox ideas are punished and therefore having no confidence even when the ideas are justified. And I have had people uh, ask me the question, well, why should we be impressed that there is a scientific consensus that human activity is warming the planet if it comes out of universities where everyone knows that if you have a, uh, an unorthodox belief, you'll be cancelled? Now, I don't happen to believe that that has happened with human-made climate change, but it, it does corrode the credibility uh, on which the acceptance of scientific results depends. Skepticism, debate, challenging orthodoxy, critical thinking, all of these things are surely lacking at the moment within our intellectual public spaces. Do you think that wokeism or identity politics is itself irrational? Um, well, I think it's, uh, some aspects of it are, yeah. 
uh, the, the, the fact that certain ideas are, are just considered taboo and therefore may not be entertained is a disabling of one of the main mechanisms for approaching the truth. So if certain thoughts can't be thought, that's irrational because it doesn't open the door to correction of mistaken beliefs uh, and, and punishing of, of uh, heretics. Uh, then there are also, there may be tenets that are factually mistaken. I wouldn't call them irrational in that many factual propositions might be rational in the sense that there could be evidence for them, which then turns out to be superseded by better evidence in the other direction. So I wouldn't equate being mistaken with being irrational. So you might think there's a gender pay gap, but there are actually 10 other reasons why the gender pay gap exists, and it's not just about sexism, for example. See, the claim that it is due to sexism is not inherently irrational. The firing anyone who raises the possibility that it might be something other than sexism, that would be irrational. On that note, Stephen, I know we've got to end. Thank you so much for joining us. That was absolutely fantastic and interesting. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for the conversation. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.